What's up, Frank? It's Patrick Wisdom from the Chicago Cubs. I just want to wish you a very happy birthday. Hope it's a great day. And you know who else want to wish you a happy birthday? The Mistaken Identity Podcast team. We all want to wish you a great birthday. We hope it's a special day for you, surrounded by your family and your friends, and you do something exciting, do something fun and memorable, you know, to celebrate your birthday. It's your day. So enjoy it and make the most of it. It's going to be a big year for all of us. I hope you guys take advantage of it. And Frank, I love that you love the Cubs. Thank you so much for being a Cubs fan. I truly love playing in front of you guys. You guys make it so much fun. So thank you so much. I see you love Jason Hayward. That's my guy. One of my favorite teammates of all time. Just an absolute stud all around, on and off the field. Uh, I love the work he does. And so, you know, I look up to him, and I'm just so thankful that I get to play alongside him. He's a tremendous guy, and uh, I'm pumped that he's one of your favorite players. Club 400 is awesome, too. I really enjoyed my time there, and I look forward to going back there soon. So maybe I'll catch you there again. Happy birthday, Frank, and all the best. Hey, Frank. Frank Swindell here with the Chicago Cubs. I want to wish you a happy 44th birthday. I hear we have more in common than just our names, like your love of Wrigley, visited Club 400, uh, everybody rhyming your name. So uh, as a as a fellow Frank the Tank, just want to say happy birthday, and hopefully you have an awesome day. Go Cubs. To so many people, you know, lifelong uh, Cubs fans, it's our happy place. It doesn't feel like a year without going to Wrigley Field, and you guys are amazing at what you do. And that's the thing, is that the Wrigley employees are always so helpful. They go beyond. When you see the same faces, year after year after year in the same sections, it makes you feel, it all feels like family that you're going to a place like it's a little family reunion. Every family member and friend who comes to that I take to a Cubs game or I take on a Wrigley Field tour because there's nothing better to do to be in Chicago and you all made that possible. Like I said, these are not just employees in my opinion, they're like family. I've brought people from all over the world, all over the country, people that don't like baseball. They love Wrigley Field. And we have you guys to thank for that. Welcome to Mistaken Identity Beyond the Ballpark, now part of the Unconfined Network. We explore the fascinating personal lives of the people inside Chicago's most iconic sports venue, Wrigley Field. Our podcast will take you on an amazing journey, introducing you to some incredible people that we've met along the way. We'll discuss hot topics, play a few games, and just try to have an overall good time. There'll be plenty of surprises along the way, so stick with us to see where our journey heads next. But for now, kick back, relax, and enjoy the latest episode of Mistaken Identity Beyond the Ballpark. Welcome to another edition of uh, Second Identity Behind the Ballpark. Uh, I'm excited today because I have a guest that I've been um, admiring for a long time. I never thought that this would happen. Uh, and I better jump to him if I get emotional. So, welcome, Aaron Key, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited to, uh, to be here. As you mentioned, it's been uh, some years in the making, but um, really excited, really excited to just talk about a lot of good stuff here and just connect with you again. Uh, yes, never thought that this would happen. 
Uh, before I get to that, today, thanks to Julian Green, uh, earlier today, I had the opportunity to go to uh, a fundraiser uh, for a group called Project Wish, right? Project Wish, if you all are watching or listening to this, Project Wish, Chicago. And um, I was so impressed by it. No one, I think I know I'm emotional. I was so impressed by this organization because the founder is 24 years old. Wow. He was turning 25 tonight at midnight. And he brought all these people together for this uh, black tie sneaker ball with rappers like Chance, NBA players, uh, most of which I didn't know because I'm, I'm baseball all the way. Uh, and then just regular young people from the south side of Chicago. They were all up here at Rizzo's up on the uh, uh, north side for this event. Uh, and Julian Green asked me to go to it. And I uh, I did, and I did not plan on giving any money, Aaron. I did not plan on, I just planned on going to this event. But sure. I was so caught up into what this young guy was doing. And I brought all the people together that a church or a politician could never reach. These people that were there would never, ever normally be on the North Side. Trust me, yeah. they would not normally be there. So I ended up giving them $50. Just here, here's some money. Um, I'm going to get him on the podcast, talk to his parents um, that were there. So uh, it has been a day of first for me. And it's culminating with me talking to you. And of course, you know Julian, how great Julian is anyway. Yeah, Julian's the best. He um, always looked out when I was there. And just his experience, his stories, his connections. Um, yeah, we could probably chat up a couple hours just about Julian himself. But yeah, he's the best. So. I'm glad you were able to go and check that out. It sounds like fun. Uh, yes, and then even, even before today, uh, I never thought I would have lunch with you. We've been planning lunch for years. Yeah. And would you believe it, the birthday month, uh, the first person I got to go out to eat with was Aaron. And you picked this new place, um, Corridor, I believe it was called, right? Yeah, Southport, Southport Corridor. Uh, it's a brewery. Really good burgers there. So it was an early birthday, uh, birthday gift for Frank, for sure. Yeah, I'm just like, I can't believe this is my life. And I want to I want to fill you all in. Most of you all know Aaron is. Uh, this is on our podcast, but it'll also be on our TV channel. But um, so a lot of the African-American staff, for sure, they know who Aaron is. Because before there was Jeremiah walking out of the concourse, right, as the first Black announcer, uh, there was somebody else who came by the front office, walked usually through the media gates, dressed to the tins, like shoes, pants, sweater, shirt, like just like um, he was somebody, African-American, and all the staff of color recognized him and knew it because they used to ask me, like, who is this? And I talked to my friend, how do you know him? And who he is? And uh, for a while, Aaron Key was the person that those of us that were of staff, of color, looked to as like, wow, like, you know, he is up doing what most people wish that they can do. And you probably had no idea that you were thought that highly of, did you? No, not really. No, not at all. You probably just thought, look, look at Frank bothering me every day. <laughs> no, nah, you never bother. But no, you don't, you don't really think of it that way. Um, but at the same time, like, reflect like looking back it makes sense right like you think of all those moments when you see someone and you relate or 
you know, it just puts something in perspective. Uh, but yeah, in the moment, you, you definitely don't, you know, think of it. You just do the best you can and try to just do what you got to do in that moment. So yeah, because I mean, think about on, on the bottom level, on our level, where we are, the people that we know in front offices, Julian Green, yeah, was way up there. So that we're really going to really, really see him, although we see him plenty of times. But and then that's when it's Aaron. So like, you know, if you're a person of color, uh, you know, and you're looking for somebody that looks like you, Aaron is the guy. So when you see Aaron walking down the concourse, and let's talk about the fashion real quick. Let's, let's get to the fashion because I told you at lunch that the shoe game, oh my God, like, like, what's up with this awesome shoe collection you have? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, don't know when it started. Probably like, probably through sports and basketball, like fifth, sixth grade, always had some cool shoes. I was pretty blessed. My mom would uh, look out in that aspect. So that probably started it. But in high school, had a ton of sneakers, Air Force Ones, um, not really a lot of Jordans, but just about anything else you can think of, a lot of Air Force Ones. Um, and then once I kind of started working, you know, I still like shoes a lot and have way too many, but I've kind of cooled just a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I think I've always taken pride in like my things and trying to take care of them. So I'm that guy that's like in the bathroom. If I step on a puddle outside, that's like trying to clean the soles, um, you know, just trying to keep up with things. So I think like everyone gets in the shoes early on and like, I'm still into it. I don't quite have as many as I had more so not as many sneakers, but I do have some nice leather shoes, um, used to have some really nice comfy shoes for the park. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's just, it was something that was my own that I got to pick that like, you know, I can go out and say, I want to wear those sneakers. And I took pride in that. And then just, I'm very slightly OCD. So that's where like the cleaning and keeping them fresh kind of comes from. Yeah, you walked into the restaurant the other day. And, uh, you know, now outside of snowing, there's a slush, there's puddles everywhere. This guy walks into the restaurant and you cannot even tell that it was snowing outside. Like his shoes are just pristine, like the white is white and the black is black. And I'm just like, how, how, how is this possible in the winter? So um, I get the whole OCD thing because the shoes were like spotless in the winter. Yeah, that's. It's, it's just second nature. It's habit to me. Like something will happen. I'll like check, you know, check real quick and then take note. And then once I get a break, like I'll go and just wipe them and, and clean them off. So that was, that was from, for, to me, the, the ones I was wearing is actually, um, they need to be clean. So that, that kind of tells you how I am uh, with, with the kicks and stuff. It's a good man shop. Yes. Um, okay. Now let's go way back, way back to the little Aaron. Tell me, Tell us, uh, where you're from, where were you born, what kind of child were you, bad kid, good kid, smart kid, tell me. Yeah, um, born in Texas, parents from the military. Um, not a lot of people know that. So I was born in Fort Hood, Texas, on a military base. We moved around quite a bit in the South. Um, and then because of my mom's family, when I was five, we moved to Chicago. I grew up this is like home, obviously grew up uh, in Forest Park, which is west, about 10 miles west of the loop and went to grade school, went to high school out there, um, went to Concordia for college. So didn't go very far. Concordia is in River Forest, the next town over from Forest Park. Um, jumping back to the childhood, 
I think with military parents, most people think like your parents must have been strict or like tough and they were. Um, but actually my dad was pretty, pretty calm, pretty chill. It was my mom who was the one that kind of carried the weight and, uh, and laid down the law when she needed to. And she had to a few times. So growing up, I was a smart kid. Um, I pushed it, got into trouble, like few small things. And, um, you know, one story is I did enough to, to get a, a firm enough spanking where it was pretty sore for a couple of days. And that kind of set me straight from that point. Um, sports was a big thing. So talking about it a little bit with the sneakers, like I was in the baseball. It was the first sport I actually played. Um, did basketball, really like basketball. And um, my parents kind of used that as a way to connect with me of like, all right, if you're going to do this, you can't go to basketball practice or you can't go to this game. And um, again, with me being pretty smart, like it was a pretty easy choice. I'm like, all right, cool. Like I'm good. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to do what I need to do um, and keep it pressing forward. Uh, with that too, I think I had pretty good uh, role models like outside the home. So like your parents are great, but sometimes it takes hearing something from someone else or maybe someone that you don't necessarily take for granted. Um so I thought that helped a lot too. And then, um, yeah, just dealing with some tough times, I think like put things in perspective, like in high school, got cut from basketball, like hated it, hated my life, sobbed. Um, that was a rough stretch, but like it was going through a little bit of a, a rut and like digging my way out of it, which kind of carried over into like adult world, dealing with things, kind of all the negatives that, that sort of happened. So. Um, I'm an only child. I didn't, I don't think I mentioned that. I'm an only child. I was spoiled rotten, um, had really good, good parents and really good examples as well that, that kind of helped to my, my upbringing. Okay. Now, when did you get to Chicago? We moved up here probably 90. I was, I celebrated my fifth birthday. My fifth birthday was the first one here. So we came up in the winter. I want to say like January of, of 1997, January, February. And then I had a birthday in April. So how did you adjust from Texas, warm, Chicago, snow? Um, I think then I was just a kid. Like kids are indestructible. Kids can do anything. Like they'll be outside for four hours, like in the cold, just getting after it. So I don't think it was too big of an adjustment. Um, now that'd be a lot different that'd be a lot different answer uh but back then i think it was just pretty straightforward i was with my grandmother at my grandmother's a lot with my parents starting up school so there were there were enough activities where i wasn't too worried about that sunny sunny weather that i left in uh in texas so you came to chicago what side of town did you grow up on and what schools did you go to so yeah, out west, um, the west side. I won't say it's Chicago. It is a suburb, Forest Park. And then uh, went to Lutheran grade school, St. Paul and Merrill's Park. Went to Walther Lutheran, which was like right across the street from a, um, you could basically see it. You could see the high school from the grade school. So like that was a pretty easy decision. Went to high school at Walther, a Lutheran school. And then... Um, did the trifecta going to Concordia, which is a Lutheran college in River Forest, which is a couple of towns over from where I went to high school. 
So is uh, I'm just curious, religious-wise, are you Lutheran? But what, what do you consider that to be? Uh, that's a good question. I probably had about, well, with all the schooling, what, eight years of grade school, four years of high school, college, about 12 plus years of Lutheran, like grade school uh, habits. But I grew up Baptist, grew up in a Baptist household. Um, so I would probably say Baptist, um, but I, I know the Lutherans very well. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, you know, I went to Catholic school all of my life, <laughs> uh, but I ended up Baptist. So yeah. um, I think that's a, a, a tra- not tradition, but it's a trend for our community being a Baptist. Um, Catholics so- are very, um, it's Catholic, Catholic strict. I, I shouldn't say strict, but it, it's demanding. I'll but say it's that. one hour. It's one hour of your day, usually. Sure, yeah. Baptist, another story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's days, plural. Sunday school, morning worship. I, I, anyway, I don't want to get into the length of a Baptist service, but uh, tell me about how you found out about the Cubs and that process. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so well, my first like real gig that was like a real like job to me was I did I did sales at Yelp. Uh, Yelp, like the reviews online. I worked in Merchandise Mart. I was there for a couple years, about a year and a half. And um, I knew it was kind of I was ready to, to pivot out. I always, you know, love sports. Sports were like my jam. Like I always wanted to work for the Bulls. Um, that was like my dream. And um, I was just online, like saw this role with the Cubs. Um, you know, took some time to write like a cover letter. It took some time to like spruce up the resume and like apply and like didn't really think anything of it. Didn't really think I probably applied like two or three weeks before I got like a call, like a screening call. Um, so like I apply online, you know, I think I used an AOL email on the application. Like that's, that's how little I thought like it would be real, right? You think like thousands of people applying, you're that one person, you know, you'll never stand out or get a shot, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, apply, fast forward a couple of weeks and uh, get this call, a uh, screening call. It was from Sarah, her name now is Sarah Tootin. Don't think she was a Tootin then. Um, but Sarah calls me, we go through the screening and like, I felt pretty good. I had sales experience. So I got pretty good on the phone of just like how to handle myself, how to be pretty clear, articulate, you know, all this stuff. And, um, you know, it went pretty well. It went pretty well. Uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, man, like this is awesome. And still not really thinking much of it. Right. Like, I don't think I really thought it was real at that point. And then, um, so make it past the screening and, um, get some details. You're going to have to come in, spend a whole day at the park, um, get some details about the interview where like you'll meet with different people. And then you have, you know, like a written assignment that we had to work through. Um, and then we're going to present to a group, like a, like a mock, like pitch meeting, um, you know, things like that. So it was like an eight hour day. I was at Wrigley. Like I went, I told my sales boss, like I was sick. Um, took the train there, 
which was from the Burbs out into the Loop up north from Forest Park. Took the train, was there like eight, um, went through the whole day, didn't leave until like four, like three or four. It was literally like an eight hour day. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like the process leading up to it. They basically separated us in groups. So they, there were like 24 of us. They split us up into three groups and um, didn't see 16 of those people ever again in my life that I remember. But um, there used to be this really nice presentation room like in the front. And um, there was a really nice high table, a really big screen, um, really nice, really nice room. We ended up having like the trophy in there a lot of times and like different things, but they pulled the eight of us in this room and we were going for this rotational program. It was service excellence program. It was like the first of its kind at the Cubs. Basically for 18 months, you would work in different parts of the service world within the or it's like and move around stuff like that. So this is the role we're going for. They pulled the eight of us in and, um, yeah, we're all like looking at each other like, okay, like, cool. And they tell us like, yo, you got the job. You got the job. They gave us hats. Like we're super excited. I'm like in shock. Um, and it was super like, it was like the full range of emotions that day of like stress, nerves, confidence, excitement, then like self-doubt, lunch, then you go back. And um, I remember like just being so blessed and like happy and just like, it was a very, it was, I don't get emotional very much, but it was like a powerful moment. Um, and then like some of those people that were in my class, there were eight of us, you know, are, are good friends of mine. So now, um, so yeah, it was awesome. And then, so then it's like, great. I got this job with the Cubs still in shock. Like I'm shocked. This is insane. I'm working for a sports team in the city of Chicago. The team's like doing the best it's ever done at this point in 2016, in the summer, um, I called my mom. I'm walking back to the train. I'll never forget this. This is one of like, one of the best days or moments I've had. I call my mom and um, I tell her, I'm like, hey, like I got the job. And she's like, no, no, you didn't. And I was like, no, like I got it. And like, she was so happy. And um, yeah, it was just an insane, insane day. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of propelled me like forward, I guess, up, up until this point today. And a lot of good times, a lot of good memories, a parade. We'll probably get into more of that. But that was kind of that day and that process. And this was 2016? Yep, July. July 2016. So you got a ring then? Got a ring. Yep. Okay, all right. Um, so when when did you, when you first stepped into the ballpark during a game, what was that like for you? Like when you got into the environment, not when it was empty, when you stepped into the ballpark and it was a game, your first time, what was that like? Yeah, it was uh, as an employee. Yes. Yeah, it was powerful. It was powerful because I've been to games as a fan. I think having the badge around your name, no matter, or around your neck, no matter kind of who you are is a special feeling of like pride. Um, it also carries like responsibility as well. Like people see you, it's like, Aaron, you know, and then like they, they can hit you with something. Um, that was a powerful moment. It was, it kind of culminated a lot of the work, a lot of the sacrifice, um, I think for me, but also my parents, you know, being pretty, pretty excited to have their child do it. Um, I also think 
I was in a unique spot too, though, because when we started the first part of the role for six months was being um, like customer support or like, like I was, we were on the phones. If someone called 1-800 the Cubs to buy tickets, complain, you know, whatever. So like having that experience on the phones was a nice, it got you ready for the park. If that makes sense of like the good, the bad, um, you know, I was already kind of seasoned a little bit. So like once we were in the park with the fans, it was just like, oh, this is fun. Like people are in front of me, you know, people are a little bit nicer in person than they are on the phones. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a powerful moment. That's when it hits like you're at Wrigley Field and and just how special it is. Now, let me ask you about this because I'm asking a question about race. It is Black History Month after all. Yeah. So you hear a lot of times that when a person of color like us goes to an environment that is, that is predominantly white, yeah. uh, that as a person of color, you feel that you have to work harder uh, or work, uh, have better quality work or be on your game all the time as opposed to your counterparts. And I'm curious now, because I feel that way even today, uh, the smallest little thing that I do, I'll get in trouble for, but if somebody else did it, they wouldn't. Uh, so I'm always doing the most. Did at any point, did you feel that way? Because I know we're raised to think that, like, you know, we're African-American, so we have to be on our game all the time compared to our counterparts. Did you feel that at all or have that in your head? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I think it's interesting, and we can probably spend a lot of time on this because when I think of it, I think it kind of goes back to me being a child and, like, my mom, right? So I think she – always wanted to try to prepare me for certain things or like protect me from certain things. Right. So she would always be pretty, she's very soft-spoken and um, concise and, and prepared and polished. And like, I think those lessons kind of rubbed off on me. Um, but it was for a reason, right. Knowing like what she went through, what my grandmother went through not very long ago and like all these different experiences and things that are real. So I also think too, like, I had a unique kind of, I didn't have, everyone's upbringing in life is a one-on-one, but I didn't have the typical kind of black young child man experience working through. And like, what I mean by that is like, the first time I went at Wrigley or work at the Cubs wasn't the first time I was the only black person in a place or in an environment. So like I used to bowl, I was pretty good at bowling. I'm still pretty good at bowling. Um, I would go to bowling centers across the country when I was like 10, well, nine through like 20. And I was the only black kid in Illinois, in Vegas, um, in, in Indianapolis, in all these places. Like I was the only black kid. Like there, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. And if there were, they were probably on my team because there was one other kid, right? And like, that was it. So like, I think you, you experience things and it kind of like thickens your skin a little bit. But again, I think like I was blessed because I kind of got it out of the way. Like it's real and it's a thing and it was very much in my mind. But I think like I was also just like, I just have to do the best I can and do me and like the chips will fall where they may. So thinking about when I was at the Cubs, I think, yeah, like well, it was interesting because Kiera Nix, Kiera Nix was also in the rotational program. So there were eight of us, Kiera Nix, um, whose uncle, I believe, still works at the park. Um, 
was in the program with me. So I felt like that helped. Like we were tight. We, we talked a lot. We were really close. Um, I think it was nice to have someone cause she was there. She was in a different role and then got chosen to come into the program. Whereas like I was new to the organization as a whole. So like, it was nice to have her, but beyond that, like, you're right. Like it was just Julian and that was really it. Like in the, in the actual like front office. So I think like, yeah, you definitely think it like I got to be on point. Um, you know, watch what I say, watch what I do. Um, you know, things like that. But I will say too, when I was at Wrigley and at the Cubs, like I had really good leaders that would give me opportunity for things that, you know, they could have easily not done so like, or they could have recommended someone else. Um, I think once kind of, once people saw what I was capable of and, and um, that I did what I say I would, and I was dependable, like, Evan Hill, uh, Brad Nagel, Caroline Phillips, um, you know, Brian Garza, like they all gave me an opportunity to do projects or do things to work with Brad Johnson in the park. So like, I think it's very real. And like, we always are on point or I feel like we have to be, but also think too, on the flip side, like there are people that will see your worth and like, give you a chance, give you an opportunity. It may not always happen, unfortunately. Right. Like, but like there are good people out there and that I think the Cubs do have some of those people again that like looked out and um, really gave me a chance, so. Yeah, you know, so I started when I was a team. I, I know for a fact that I would be on the street wilding out if it was not for the Cubs out. I just know that I would be, right? Because when you're up north, you have to step it up a little bit. But I will say this, when you brought up opportunities, uh, so when I first started there in the 90s, my God, I was uh, interning for uh, a black lady in, in um, media relations named Wanda Taylor. Yeah. Uh, I was interning for her. I was a runner, taking stuff to the press box. Uh, they put me in the scoreboard, through the scoreboard a couple of times. Uh, back in the night, I had so many opportunities. Uh, I didn't even realize, that, you know, I didn't even think about being black <laughs> because I was given so many opportunities because I was just, you know, Having a ball, I was this young black kid from the West Side at Wrigley, uh, like I am now, talking to everybody. Hey, who are you? Like, right. I don't care who you are, front office, not. I want to know who you are, what your name is, and people like love that. Uh, so, can you tell me what what is like one of your most? I know your I know your most memorable moment pre job when you got the job, but on the job, one of your most memorable either days or games or moments. One, which what one would it be? Oh, that's hard. So. I mean, World Series is, is pretty insane. So we, we were fortunate enough. The staff was taken to games in Cleveland. So all four games, uh, or front office, I should say, um, were taken to Cleveland. So that was pretty special to go. Um, I took some friends of mine. I took uh, – we had a good time. We obviously won. The, the – the best moment I've had in my life is World Series Parade. I took my mom. So me and my mom, we went on the World Series Parade. We were in the trolley in the actual parade. Um, got some really good good pictures. So that was, that that's like my favorite moment, most powerful moment. The best moment of my life thus far is being able to share that with her just based off all the experience, um, all she's done for me, all she sacrificed, like, to have her be able to be a part of like this big historical thing 
that millions of people are at are watching. Like we can never forget that. Also add to you, like I enjoyed when she could come to games. Like she is a big um, motivating factor for me was and still is. And like whenever I can go out and see her in the park was like the best. My dad went a couple of times, like whenever they both were there again, like it was a huge, um, huge win for me. But I think too, I don't know, I'm giving you a lot. Um, no, you're, always, giving, you're giving us, you're giving us a, a side that we never see. So this is good. <laughs> yeah, I always, honestly though, I always enjoy like seeing like Frank and like seeing, cause there's so many people in the park. Like there's so many people and you, you know this, everyone knows this probably listening that like when you see people at the left field gate, I see Frank. I see like just uh, Nico down or Nick, sorry, down on the field for security when I'm trying to get people on the field. Like, it's just nice to see them and like talk and like, what's going on? You need something. No, you're good. I'm good. Cool. Like, let me know if you're not like, I think like you built those relationships kind of as well. And obviously with what I did, I had season ticket holders towards the latter end. So um, I had some really good season ticket holders that I still keep up with that um that really looked out for me and and we're really excited whenever I come by so I think like just the the relationships as a whole like obviously my mom that's like on a whole nother level but I think like just the relationships and um people really enjoy being there especially in the park club 400 ballpark lager is a beer for all nine innings Take me out to the ball game. This crisp, easy drinking lager is perfect for a summer day amongst the bricks and ivy. Crafted at Crystal Lake Brewing, this beer is clean and refreshing with minimal bitterness so that you can celebrate a W in style. From Club 400, Cubs fans helping Cub fans, this baseball brew can be found at most places that sell beer in Northwest Illinois or from Crystal Lake Brewing. Beer master Ryan Clooney. Enjoy a beer or six pack today and please remember to drink responsibly we don't always think of it and this is something i've kind of learned a lot more recently well the cubs started to help me thinking this way but like we're very powerful in just our interactions with people and like people it's it's the the phrase people always remember the way you make them feel right so like yes. once i started to realize that not that i'm trying to do it with you all because that's natural right but like when I was client facing for my clients, like I always wanted to make them feel good, be excited about the park. Same thing. If you've got someone that comes into work that acts about you, that looks out for you, like it's only going to help you and come back to you twofold. So I think like naturally that's kind of the type of person I am. I think, you know, statistically Wrigley is a place where we don't have as many people of color in the front office. Um, where like you keep that in mind as well like I was an example like I'm just a normal kid I put my pants on the same way as everyone else I have interests I have hobbies I have parents you know like every single person in the park with when given the right opportunity can do what I did right and like do it really well every person in the park can go and do whatever they want to do so I think like that was part of it as well like those things all like put together to be a really good um example just to be a good person and like look out and like I just enjoyed it I just enjoyed being there and like trying to portray that so I used to talk to um people because they are bosses about yeah. you so much uh that 
uh, when I came to the front office sometime, they'd be like, hey, are you here to see Aaron? Even though I wasn't, like, oh, no, I'm just here to see, <laughs> to see you. Or, uh, you know, I, was, I was just so proud and just so, like, I couldn't believe it, whatever. But I'll never forget the day that I got a call or an email. I got an email uh, out of the blue. Hey, Frank, not sure if you know this or not, but uh, Aaron's father passed. Yeah. And I thought to myself, uh, wow, they didn't have to take time out to tell me that of all people because I think I think the season was over, I believe, or whatever. But um, just the fact that something happened to you and somebody in the front office decided we, we got to tell Frank about this. Um, one, it ruined my day. My, my whole day was like, oh my, like yeah. what do I do? I don't have this number. I can't. You know, say anything. I think I may, I think I may have sent you a gift card or something, put it on your desk or whatever, because I wanted to do something. Yeah. I just, I felt so uh, attached to you, even though we were not, uh, you know, that close, whatever. But uh, the fact that they emailed me to tell me that uh, said a lot to me. Um, that wow, one, I talk about Aaron way too much, them, and <laughs> and two, uh, they obviously want me to know because I had to reach out. Um, but yeah, I, I'll never forget that day that, that you know, the front office, somebody in the front office, Frank, I know you, you probably don't know this, but this happened to Aaron. I'll never forget that day that they, yeah. I don't know for me to tell me about what happened to you. Yeah, no, thank you. That was, that was very kind. I think you, you definitely left the card and wrote a note. Um, and then I think like sent the message to, I think email. So no, I appreciated that. And um, yeah, I think it, you know, family, community, um, support, you know, those kind of words come to mind with that. Cause that, that was, that was, that was a hard day. That was a tough time, hard day. It still is to an extent, but, um, definitely appreciated that. Don't forget it. I don't forget that either. So, um, so yeah, now let's move on to season ticket holder because that is where I really got to know you <laughs> yeah. because, uh, obviously, uh, I deal with them on their bad days and you deal with them yeah. when they're complaining about stuff. Um, so tell me how you went from what's it called CSR, I think it's called, or that whatever you were doing first to tickets. How did you go from point A to point B? Yeah, it was um, so service excellence program was like the eighteen month like rotation. It was SEP. So going SEP. from that to um, to yeah, like ending up in the season ticket world. So ideally, back in sixteen before seventeen, we launched a lot of things that are just staples now. So like. Gallagher Way, I think it's still Gallagher Way. May not, yeah. may not be. Um, the Plaza, the Plaza, right? Came on in seventeen. The clubs came out um, in seventeen as well. And then, like lately, the suites were redone. So, like, the idea was to take us and groom us and have us fill those spots for the new things. Um, for myself, I went for a couple roles, didn't get it but still had an opportunity because someone that was on the season ticket uh, team, not like the club season tickets, but the season tickets anywhere in the park um, went to premiere. So then like I interviewed for that and I joined Frank's team, Frank Casella, um, who kind of worked his way through uh, being in the ballpark and then worked his way through as a season ticket rep and like manager and is now like the director. Um, but I joined Frank's team and um, I was disappointed about, you know, like the premier jobs and like not getting it because um, I, I went for it a couple of times. But at the same time, too, like it worked out. It worked out. I had a great boss. I had a really good team. Um, 
I had a lot of season ticket holders, but I felt like the majority of them I related to and like we got along pretty well. Um, there were some that's a little bit trickier to work with and get along with, but um, I landed in a good spot. I learned a lot about myself and um, I had a really good, really good manager in Frank. Uh, one of the best that I've had. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my path and journey there. And then like the days were, were, were interesting. I would, um, on non-game days, you'd be in emails and like try to get visits together and things like that. And then on game days, you know, we would roll in and um, basically be in the park, be in the park, seeing people going out, um, trying to, to have either the season ticket holder or their guests have a really good experience, um, maybe make up for something that happened kind of things like that. But uh, you really have to put yourself out there. You got to own it. You got to be the face of the team, which I know Frank has had to do a lot of times. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of the, my world for a couple of years. So. Yes. One of the best parts of the job for me with being able to have somebody with a season ticket rep that I can ask yeah. questions to because we deal with season ticket holders all, all the time. time. Right. That can make their experiences better because now I know what is true and what is not true, um, which I would not have known uh, before. Um, now, for those of you that are listening, this podcast episode is a little longer than usual because this is this this is a rare. I've been waiting three years for this, so you all have to bear with me today. Now, the next email I got though hurt me a lot, and that was the email I was trying to reach you, and you were no longer there. I think it was during the pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were no longer there. And it took them a while. They were beating him on the bus, by the way. They were beating him on the bus. Uh, he's not available. Uh, or whatever it was. And sure. then eventually, like pulling the band-aid off the scab. Okay, he's not here anymore. And yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> what do you mean he's not here anymore? Like, like I I never even envisioned right. a world where you were not with the Cubs. And they're like, he's not here anymore. And I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know what. I'm like, I just lost my chance to have lunch, to hey, talk to him, get his number. Yeah. Was all these years, and never ever stopped to connect with him. Uh, so tell me what, uh, if you want to, what transpired around the moving on to bigger and better things. Yeah. So I think like backing up, there was a time where if I worked for a sports team, I would never leave. Like the, the balls were my golden standard. Obviously the Cubs were an amazing team organization history. Um, so many positive moments and just like winning and losing, losing to the Dodgers, like just fun, good times. Like it's really historic to be around, be at the park. I think for me, um, I'm a very, ambitious person and also um like confident um i think i failed a lot and like not handled things well and just learned or just like tried to go for things and just not just not gotten it or not like broken through so i think like those kind of build you up those moments where like you know you can kind of get through anything or if you decide to do something you'll be okay and um i think like the season ticket holder role that I was doing was great, but I kind of felt like there was a gap between what I was capable of and like my potential and like 
the trajectory I was on and like how long it would take to get there and, and just like time. And I also got to a certain point in my life where like, you know, I lost my dad. Um, my mom is getting there. Right. Like, so trying to be a little bit more available than being at the park on weekends, on nights and things. So there were just like the perfect storm of things. Um, you know, financially I was getting really serious about, money and trying to invest in like real estate um, and reading a ton of books. So, you know, it was really hard um, because I love sports. I'm extremely competitive. It may not seem like it, but I want to beat everyone and everything anytime I do anything. And um, I really like Frank, my manager. So like, it was so hard to talk to him and tell him. And like, I was nervous texting my girlfriend at the time and she's like, you just got to do it. Like, this is best for you. You got to do it. So that was a really hard conversation. Fast forward, uh, I left to work for Compass, which is a real estate brokerage. Um, but I'm on the operation side, so I don't actually sell. But I work with agents. Uh, I help them use the tools, grow their business, kind of like a coach, consultant in a tech world. Um, that kind of gets me closer to real estate so I can, you know, learn about the business. I can learn about what a good property looks like in an investment um, and obviously have some of the weekends, a little bit more time and flexibility. So it was really hard because it was a big moment of like, I'm really comfortable doing this and I'm doing well and I'm highly regarded, which I'm very blessed to have been. And like, people liked me, like it was a big decision, but also too, like, I knew kind of what I was capable of and like, wanted to te wanted to just go for it and, and push myself um so yeah it was a bummer when I left and like it happened quickly and then like COVID happened so then like there was this weird period where no one was really at the park so I don't think the weight of it really hit for myself or for others because like out of sight out of mind um and then like I ended up coming back in 21 like to a game in the summer and like saw people and like it was weird. It was really weird. So, yeah. I can totally relate. So I struggled with this for a while. Again, when you're with the sport, you're comfortable. You, you're going to be there forever, right? Right. Uh, you know, and, and when I first started, boy, I was getting promoted, you know, and they were, they were primarily promoting from within. Back then, you know, experience was everything. Like, they promoted right. from within. Uh, so I was promoted every two years, getting raises and bonuses. Like, it, it was just great because, like, there was no ceiling. And then the pandemic hit. And then I, I went a year without working there and I realized, wow, I'm still I'm still surviving. Like I, I went a year, not at Wrigley Field, and I am doing great. I still have my friend from the Cubs. Yeah. Like, the sky is not falling. Right. Yeah. It's like, wow, I don't, you know, I don't uh I can live without this. Cause I never thought that I could, because I just done it for so long. I struggled with that. But now with the pandemic, it's like, hey, I, I can live without this. And, <laughs> and yeah, the world still uh, moves on. So now you did come to a game and I happened to catch you at the game. Yeah. And it was like, my one chance, this is my chance to connect back with Aaron because he's here. And ironically, I was in that section that day, ironically, and you were there. So it was yeah. divine intervention and I was able to connect. I think I have talked to you about um, how I was in the Cubs commercial for Juneteenth. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, um, check that out. It's a good commercial. And, it's a great commercial. and I'm like, oh my God, he's about to give me his numbers. Like, I thought you were gone forever. And out of the blue, you're back. And 
look at where we are now. But I, you might not even remember that game, but you had you having a good time, by the way. So. Oh, I remember. It was my boss is a huge Cubs fan, so um, I remember. Yeah, it was a good time. Frank looked out for us. I appreciate it. And I was doing I was doing normal things that we do for fans that come to the game, and you're like, Frank, don't do this, don't do. This. Like, no, yeah, no, it's like, this is normal stuff that I do for any fan. It feels like I don't know. It feels. It feels different for sure. I don't go to a lot of games. Um, I do miss it. I miss the park. Um, so it was good to be back and see you. And yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. And uh, now let's talk about it real quick uh, because I have not done this in a while, but uh, I'm known for the person that talks about money and investing and sure. stuff. And yeah. we met at lunch and I brought that investing up to you and your eyes are like lit up. It's like yeah. some light bulb in your head <laughs> went off. When I brought up real estate and investing in stocks, sure. like, and you're like, I think we found our connection. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, as soon as you said it, I was just like, like, like you said, my eyes lit up. I think I. Um, so I used to commute from Forest Park Blue Line into the stop, into Lake, switch to the Red Line, go to to Wrigley, get off at Addison. So probably about an hour. Eh. Yeah, it's probably about an hour. I haven't done it in a while now. I think about it like 50 minutes, right? One way. So I would read. Um, I got into reading about real estate, reading to investing. And like, it's not something that even in public, it's not something that the general public is really taught, especially then you look at like people of color and like in our neighborhoods, in our homes and communities. Like, so like, it was really exciting for me to just acquire knowledge, um, read, it was a good reason too on the train. So like, it, it kind of got me serious about my money. Like I didn't really think about saving before like the Cubs and like that perfect experience of like having to be at the park, working so much, like not able to go out and do a ton, like coupled with like that mindset really helped. And like, as soon as you mention it, like it's everything, like putting a little bit away as much as you can, like just making that decision for the future and forward as opposed to like, once you spend that dollar, it's gone. But like, if you can save that dollar and invest it, that dollar can make you 10 cent. That dollar and 10 cent can make you 10 more cent. That dollar and 20 cent, right? And like, it compounds in time. And like, it's literally like a snowball. Like it builds momentum. You don't have to start with something huge, but just a little bit with time and just like a whole number of other things can get you a pretty big, you know, snowball going that our community and like where I grew up, it wasn't really a thing in my household, but like, I want to make it one for my household. I want my kids to be good when I have them and like so on and so forth. So, yeah. It was just, it was exciting for me. And we and we talked about, at lunch, we talked about how they don't teach this in schools, but if every American, every American were investing, everybody would be doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they don't teach you that's the one thing that everybody needs is to invest all the problems we solve but they don't teach it in school but um one one of the things that i was excited about is that when you were like uh, hey you know let, let's connect i want to learn more about this investing whatever I, I, I was dying on the inside because like you've given me so much inspiration wise the fact that i'm not going to be able to give you something back i'm like oh my god i couldn't believe it was happening but um and I haven't done this in a while. I'm going to do it now. Uh, I'm going to do a longer version with you privately. But people are always asking my investment strategy. 
Yeah. I'm gonna tell you while they're listening my investment strategy since, since I brought oh, it up. Man. We're getting the I haven't today. done it in a while. And my Aaron, phone. I gotta wrap this <laughs> We go out, Aaron. I'll go more in detail into it. But people always ask me like what it was. Now I will say this. I got to this point in my life, this strategy, after trial and error, trying yeah. everything else, trying day trading and uh yeah. all the, the forex trading and things and whatever, trying to get rich quick. Uh yeah. there's so much all that. And then the strategy that I use now, that I've been using for the last five years, that I use now is what is perfect for me. So this is what I do. I make a list of everything that I spend my own money on, right? Yeah. I like, I have a Hulu, so I stock in Disney, right? I yeah. shop at uh, Mariano, which is my Kroger. I am the Amazon king at my door. The Amazon guy knows me. Uh, I love my iPads. Apple, everybody, everywhere that I spend money, I invest in those companies, right? I want to be an owner in the companies that I am investing in because dividends can help pay your bills, right? So I was at the point where uh, I was investing in Allstate, which pays my insurance, life insurance, I believe it is. Uh, And over the course of time, those dividends build up so that my $20 or whatever premium, Allstate pays it actually now yeah. because I get that much in dividends. Um, and I try, my strategy is always to, wherever I'm spending money at, invest in those companies. Yeah. If I'm not spending money in that, don't invest in it because you'll get what's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. Somebody jumps and says, oh my God, Frank, you gotta get this game stock. stock. Frank, you gotta get this AMC stock. I don't shop at GameStop. I don't go to the movies as much at all, but I do go, it's not AMC. It keeps me grounded and not chasing after all the different stocks. So I got a portfolio of 80 something stocks. Nope, I got my 20 stocks, um, EFTs or index funds that I invest in. And I just continue to build those, right? I turn on Drip, which is a dividend reinvestment programming. So in the beginning, you see those small dividends, 25 cents, $1, whatever. You don't yeah. want to spend those. You want to turn on drip. You want to reinvest those and have Apple and all of them buying more sort of stock for you. Now you're not even spending your own money on stock. Now your stocks are buying you stocks and don't look at it at all. It's like watching paint dry. And eventually you will notice that your investments and your money is now making you money. And that money that's making you money is not making money. So, for example, yeah. example break, it down. break it down, Frank. When I get my checks, right, most of my checks now are invested because I'm living off the checks that I got in 2015 still. Right. Yeah. I don't need the checks that I'm getting in 2022. I'm still living off the money that I invested from the checks in 2015. And that's how investing works. Your money makes money, which makes money all while you sleep. In the, in the, during the pandemic, I didn't do anything with lay on the couch. I didn't do too much at all because the market had crashed and you want to go in when the numbers are deep. Like right now, by the way, the market is horrible right now. Now is the time to invest as much money as you can because you don't want to get stocks when the price is up here. You want to get stocks when the price is down here so that it's rising and you're making capital gains. So the market, by the way, is where it is now. It's where it was at most of the point, most cases, it's actually where it was when the pandemic crash happened the first time. So you want to invest now, so obviously I'm investing now. And I've learned 
not to watch the news because they're all about drama. Stock market crash, stock market this. Well, it went down 2%. It went down 5%. A 2% loss for most people is okay. When you hear about 2% loss, you, but when you hear crash, what do you do? Put out all your money. Yeah. And then the next day, then the news, oh, that wasn't a crash. It was a correction. It's over now. And you, but you took all your money out so it went back up. Now you're paying a higher price for stock. You should have just kept it in there. Right? It always, every crash in history has always recovered. I have never, ever panicked when it was a crash. What I did was I used, when, I, when I'm teaching my young cousins about the market, and I said, whenever you hear the word crash, think of on sale. Right. right. If Apple has crashed, that stock is on sale. Go get it. Yeah. And when I've changed their mindset, they stop watching the news, they get it now. So that's a quick, quick version of my investing strategy that works for me. Yeah. And I'll add to that too. You, um, a couple of things. So the first one you talked about, like opportunity costs, right? So opportunity costs is like, if I take, I have a hundred dollars, I spend all a hundred dollars. Well, the opportunity cost is like that hundred dollars could earn me returns for years. Right. Or like a, 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 a Sunday night, like tonight, right? Like me and you were talking, doing this podcast. Well, if I would have went out and like had a good night on the town, the opportunity cost might've been someone, we never do this, this episode, someone doesn't hear my experience and like the benefit that it may have on their life. Right. So like opportunity cost is real, every decision, et cetera. Same thing with your money, like take, it don't have to be a lot, like whatever you can, a little bit, just get it going. Cause like, once you spend that dollar, it's gone. Once you, you hand it out to someone or swipe that card it's gone. But if you can keep a little bit and just like put it to work, don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Like it will, work for you and bring back return, 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 uh, for sure, so. And the best thing about it is that it creates generational wealth, which is not popular in our community. <laughs> yeah. Generational wealth. That, uh, I was telling um, somebody this about Black history, uh, the people that were investing in 19 whenever, when Black people couldn't invest, right, their great, great, great grandkids are still getting the dividends from those stocks. And it's gonna to continue to grow and continue to grow to generation to generation because that's how it works. It's called generational wealth. My son, Jordan, you better believe that Jordan is loving how my portfolio looks because he knows yeah. that God forbid something happens to me, all of my, all of my uh, money that I have invested in, in real estate and into all of my stocks or whatever, he knows that that is going to him and that he's going to pass it on down because that's called generational wealth. How many right. people in our community don't leave anything for their family or friends and they're on GoFundMe when the person dies and has to raise money? We have to get in the mindset of investing to leave something for the people behind you. Yeah. And I had to like the world, the world is cold. It's harsh. It keeps going too. Right. Like no one's going to feel sorry for you. No one's going to help. Like you got to do it yourself. And again, just taking the time to learn, to read, reading isn't fun. It's not the most sexy thing, but like history is all laid out in books and like a lot of information's out there in books or just on our, our phones now because the world is much smaller. So 
um, yeah, you got to do it for yourself and for the future because no one else, no one else is going to do that for you. Speaking of reading, I'm going to plug in for my book club. Remember, we're reading a most beautiful thing about the first black rowing team in Chicago from Manly High School. Most of you all catch up with that. Uh, go to our Patreon uh, page and uh, figure out when our discussion is. But uh, it's an amazing book. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, everybody that's reading it so far has been texting me like, Frank, this book is amazing. So a uh, most beautiful thing is the book club selection for uh, the month of February. Make sure you go and uh, check that out. Now, Aaron, I usually give my guests the opportunity to ask me some questions or ask something of me because uh, we uh, know each other. We're just now starting to know, know each other. Uh, so, and I usually ask good questions too, but you have any questions for me? What do you what do you enjoy about? Get you ready already. <laughs> oh, I, I I'm good with questions. What um, what do you enjoy most about like what you're doing this podcast and and this this experience? So I admit, no lie, I have learned more about people in my life that I see every day on doing this podcast than I ever have at the ballpark. Because at the ballpark. Uh, we don't have time to get to know who's a lawyer, who's a doctor, who you know, who is having a baby, or whose parents died, who has this debilitating disease, or whatever. We don't get to know any of that, uh, and it has given me the opportunity to, to meet some great people. It's given me the opportunity to connect with Aaron Keith, for crying out loud. But um, it, just, it just has opened up a. I get so many emails from people saying, "Wow, Frank, your podcast helped me see." Um, uh, this that person in a different light. Somebody even told me after the uh, we did a after the George Floyd thing, we did a cultural conversation series, of tough, tough conversations about race, religion, and sexuality on the podcast for a week. You have to listen to it when you get a chance, Aaron. And I got so many messages back from that saying, "Wow, Frank, you know, there's some things that I never even thought about when it comes to race or uh, what have you that the podcast opened my eyes up to." Yeah. So I think that is what I like the best about it is that each episode, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Like today, somebody listened to it and now they're going to be investing now. So I think that is probably the best thing about it for me. If um, I know you mentioned the book club, if you had to recommend one book that all listeners and people watching this should read, what book would you choose? Ooh, that's a one book. What would you say? What would your answer be? Uh, I'd probably go either Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Ooh. Or um, there was a book, Nudge, that I read. I forgot who wrote it. But there's a book called Nudge, which is about, like, social behavior and just, like, how society, things are put in place to influence decisions. So like they're all nudges, like it just opens your eyes. It's interesting. So I'd say rich that part out or nudge, one of those two. So I think I, I want to go current. I want to go current. Uh, and I got this book, uh, or Jordan is getting me this book. We said he got it ready. We haven't brought it to my house yet. But I am dying to read. Uh, and so I, I'm dying to read this book by Will Smith, his, new, his latest book. Okay. Uh, he had a book. Uh, by the way, so every book by Obama, I love, by the way. Even if, even if you guys, if you hear the audio books, listening to Obama talk, amazing. So I would say any book about Obama is good, but I'm dying to read Will Smith's new book. 
Uh, he's a very fascinating person. He's funny. You know, we know he's funny on TV and he's a rapper, or whatever. But he has some emotional, some very interesting life experiences with uh, eccentric kids. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Jaden and all—they're all eccentric and different. And then uh, his wife, Jada. Like he has, there's so yeah. much going on there, trauma-wise and life-wise, that I'm dying to read this book, um, and I cannot wait to Jordan actually send it to me. Just a reminder, Jordan, you have it at your house, bring it to mine. But um, I would say any book by Obama, especially the last one, is amazing. You, you got to read that one. But a book that I'm looking forward to reading is the one by Will Smith. Cool, I love it. Well. I'll, I'll leave you with those two questions. I won't. Uh, I won't put you back on the spot too too much more. All right, back to the spot because at the end of every episode in season two, uh, we have a trivia question for the guest who can win a prize for one of our Patreon members. So okay. podcast costs no money. Obviously, it costs money. It's not free, you all. So it costs money, and over a hundred tons of you uh, support us with three dollars a month on Patreon. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of that because we could not keep the podcast going without that financial support. And um, if you want to support, by the way, listen to this, patreon.com slash mistaken identity podcast. You can do a dollar for all we care. You support it some kind of way. But the Patreon member of this episode is Kathy Weedley. Kathy Weedley. So if Aaron, can, so question, if An- if Aaron can answer this question... Kathy, we have two weeks to reach out to me, and you will be able to pick a prize from our many, many prizes. As a matter of fact, I need to I need to actually try to convince Aaron to be a Patreon member too. By the way, I got to do that. I want to keep him around. But Aaron, here's your question. So all our questions are about our podcast, by the way. And I know you're new to it, but uh, your question is. Uh oh. I hope it's a question that you can answer because you haven't been around for that much for the podcast. It would be a sports question. Name one person other than yourself who has been a guest on our podcast. It should be easy for you. I should know this. Yeah, I don't. The podcast last week. I don't know. I don't know his last name. What's the first name? Jordan. Oh, my Jordan. Yes, yes, yes. So Jordan. Yes. Also, also, and I'm blanking on his name, and this is bad. Give me one second. In addition to Jordan, I have another one. Maybe we'll what did it begin with? What, is it, what did it begin with? What letter are you thinking? Oh, I should know this. Uh, commentator, <laughs> J- uh, J- J- Jeremy? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Made- Let's go. Jeremiah. 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 Okay, that's all right. Jeremiah. Um, so there's two answers right there. So Kathy Wheatley, when you uh, hear this, you have two weeks to contact us, and uh, you can get your prize. And again, everybody else, uh, and you too, Aaron, make sure you check out patreon.com slash mistaken identity podcast. Uh, that's some behind-the-scenes content. You get to watch the episode as well. So, and see Aaron. Uh, his fa- Aaron, what do we have? Speaking of fashion, we'll let you go. What is the shoe game today, Aaron? What is the shoe game today? Let's, uh, uh, I actually wore the same shoes you saw, the Goodman brand, um, uh, sneakers, the leather, let's, let's leather see. upper. Let's see. Let's see. Come on. Oh, I'm wearing I'm wearing some slippers right now. But when I was out, these are you know just a house the house of shoe. <laughs> uh, but 
when I was out earlier, I had the Goodman brand. Uh, little letter. By the way, I went, I went to the website to, to look at the Goodman brand, and I'm just like, hmm, I'm going to have to pay this in an installment. I'm very cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. They're good shoes. They last. Don't don't buy shoes. Don't do not do what I do. Save, <laughs> save that money. Um, all right, Aaron, again, I cannot, um, I hate for this to end because I want to talk to you forever, but uh, it has to end. It's already the longest episode we've ever had. <laughs> so i have got to let you go. Uh, but words cannot express uh, how, I tell everybody on the podcast, I, you got to get people around you that are smarter than you you can't be the smartest person in the room. You got to get people around you that inspire you and motivate you. Uh, and as you heard today, uh, there are only four people on the planet that do that. You know, one of them is Keeson, my best friend on the podcast here, but the other one is Aaron. Um, so Aaron, thanks for being that person for me. And uh, I wish you the best and hopefully we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. It's always been great to get to know you, Frank. And um, yeah, this is fun. So I have to... I'll, I'll keep up with you guys and support, but maybe we'll make a special appearance one day too. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, maybe, maybe I get you to co-host with me one day. So that's about it. That sounds good. All right. Thank you all. We'll catch you all on the next episode of Mistaken Identity. Hey guys, if you're hearing my voice here again, that means we've reached the end of the show. It's that time again for all the thank yous and special messages and disclaimers, you know, all the stuff you really tune in for each week. A big thank you yet again to all of our supporters who not only continue to tune into our show, but take the time to hit the like button, write reviews, and share our content on social media. It all really helps us grow our audience. Our Patreon page continues to thrive as well as we're working not only on the podcast, but Roku channel and the book club and on and on and on. If you'd like to be a part of that expanding Mistaken Identity experience, follow the link in our show notes to our Patreon page or go to patreon.com and search Mistaken Identity Podcast for all the ways you can sign up to access this multitude of additional content. Mistaken Identity is also now a part of the Unconfined Network, which is a home to many podcasts whose hosts have met inside the walls of Wrigley Field. Check out the network's other show offerings. Head to unconfinednetwork.com. That's all one word, unconfinednetwork.com, to view all of our shows and their catalogs. Shouts out to Frank Walker, Jesse Graham, and Jordan Burks for their continued efforts both in front and behind the scenes to keep Mistaken Identity rolling along every week. And of course, we can't leave without our disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and we do not speak for or on behalf of the Chicago Cubs or any other organization. This is Joe Flaherty for the Mistaken Identity Podcast saying stay safe, and we'll catch you next time beyond the ballpark. Thank you.